the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the best of investing on 860 AM, The Answer. The show that brings you valuable information about real estate, the financial markets, and other economic business of the day. Your host, Edward Brown, is a nationally recognized expert on money and investing who has appeared on CNN and has published numerous articles in national business magazines and newspapers. Now, your host for the best of investing, Edward Brown. Welcome. You're listening to The Best of Investing. I'm your host, Edward Brown. My two co-hosts, Mark Hahn and Nan Fon, are off today. Our phone number is 888-912-1190. Use that number to answer the trivia questions for a five-pack tanning certificate given away during the show. And that certificate's not sponsored by the radio station, but by Tan Bella Tanning Salon with two locations in San Francisco and one in Marin. Today's trivia theme is miscellaneous trivia. Now, we do have a special guest, Brian C. Adams of Excelsior capital to discuss the current state of commercial real estate and some other stuff. Hey, Brian, uh, welcome to The Best of Investing. Thank Thank you so so much for having me. Excited Excited to be here. here. You're great. So uh, first, uh, give us a little introduction on Excelsior Capital. uh, What's the primary business there? Yeah, Yeah, we we are are a real estate investment firm. You know what? By the way, we're getting a little bit of feedback, just so you know. Not not sure if you realize that. I I don't don't hear hear it. it. Okay. Okay. Uh, it sounds a little echoey, but that's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> but, um, you, let me, let me try, try this. Okay. And, and while, while you're, while, wait, go ahead. Say it again. Is that, Is that better? better? No, we're still getting some feedback, but that, that's okay. I, maybe it's just on my end. Go ahead. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah so, so we are, we are a real estate investment firm based out of Nashville, Nashville Tennessee. Tennessee. And um, we uh, provide the opportunity for individuals and families to invest directly into commercial real estate across the Southeast with a focus on Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. Oh, okay. Very good. And, uh, you know, it's funny because you and I were kind of kidding around uh, before we came on about the, I was going to ask you your best piece of advice, and which was uh, the answer comes back, don't go to law school. And I said, well, wait a minute now, if you come back with that answer, that means you probably did go to law school. Right? <laughs> yeah, you, you'd be <laughs> accurate. I'm, I'm a recovering attorney. attorney. And, uh, <laughs> recovering attorney. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, it, you know, it, you know, you know they, they say, say in law school is the first year they work you to death. Second year, they scare you to death, and then third year, they bore you to death, and I think that's pretty accurate for me, but um, it afforded me a good opportunity to learn, but it just was not for me long term, so. Gotcha. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because I got my my bachelor's degree in accounting and master's in tax. And when I first came out, a lot of my friends went to go work for back then, which was the big eight firms. And, mm-hmm. you know, putting in 80 hours a week during uh, tax season was not uncommon at all. And I realized I said, yeah, this isn't quite for me. I mean, it gave me a really good background. But eh, after that, don't want to uh, go, go further. So uh, get, getting back to uh, some commercial real estate, uh, why don't you give us the state, uh, current state of what's going on? It's, it's got to be somewhat in flux, I would think. 
Yeah, yeah so it, it, it is, is an interesting, interesting time, right? Um, <laughs> the, the, the Fed raising rates, rates is problematic across the board for real estate. Let's just kind of be honest about that. Raising, raising rates mean borrowing costs are higher, which means investor returns are lower. Um, so that is part of the situation. The other side is with inflation ripping, real estate has historically been the best hedge against inflationary environments. So we're able to pass through some of those inflationary pressures to our tenants and to our users and hopefully shield investors from some of those effects. But honestly, if we end up going to a full-blown recession, it's going to be a very challenging investment environment across the board. I personally think real estate will be one of the best bad places to be in that scenario. Um, but it, it is challenging. It's interesting because the dynamic we're seeing is there are a lot of 65-year-old men who own real estate. They've been through 08. They've been through COVID. They see the writing on the wall, and they want to transact, right? They want to take their chips off the table. And so, so there's, there's a lot, lot of deal flow and opportunity, but executing on those deals, given the current lending environment with rates and, and a lot of lenders going on the sidelines and being risk off is very challenging. Yeah, because a lot of times with regard to the rise in interest rates where it costs the um, um, rent, the landlord uh, more, I get, really, I guess it's partly going to depend on how much he's leveraged. Right, because if right. you have very little leverage on it, then it's not going to be as affected, especially if we've got a fixed rate or you know long term. Uh, right. right, and, and that's, that's where exactly. So understanding the capital stack behind each investment is really important, right? So the amount of leverage that is on the building, whether or not it's fixed, interest only, floating, variable rate, how long that term is, all those things really come into account, and that's where. Doing long-term fixed debt right now doesn't make a whole lot of sense if we think rates are going to fall at some point in the next 12 to 24 months. So we've been pivoting towards more value-add opportunities where we can increase the NOI, do some things with the property, and then refinance at that higher NOI. And that even if rates are higher, it still will be a good opportunity. But just doing kind of an arbitrage between debt and cap rate today, those deals don't make any sense anymore. Interesting. Um, I would think also the banks would be maybe pulling back a little bit with their LTVs, um, especially with their debt service coverage ratios uh, with interest rates going up. That's really going to uh, make the the LTVs that they're willing to lend at, you know, from 70 down to about 60, 55 percent. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's, there's been a 200 basis, basis point swing in borrowing costs over the last six months. months and what, what you're going to start, start seeing hearing is broken deals. Deals are no longer pencil, repricing, retrading from buyers and sellers. Yeah. Um, so in that environment, there's opportunity. But again, getting the equity on board and getting the debt on board and executing, given all the volatility, is the biggest challenge right now in real estate. Well, especially with a recession uh, looming, if not already in, is really going to make it challenging, you know, to get the right tenant in, uh, you know, because you don't want to have that uh turnover. Tell you what, uh, Brian, stay with us. We're going to go to our first commercial uh, trivia question here. First trivia question. And again, uh, as a reminder, if you know the answer, don't say anything until we get back. Okay. Before being renamed, what was Mumbai called? Mumbai. Remember the uh, the place in uh, uh, the, the, the Far East? 
All right. What was, what was its previous name? All right. Uh, call 888-912-1190. First caller with the correct answer wins that tanning certificate, which is worth over $100. Stay with us. The Best of Investing will be right back. For more information on today's topic, call Edward Brown directly at 888-912-1190. The Best of Investing will continue in a moment on 860 AM. The Answer. Now, back to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown on 860 AM, The Answer. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with our special guest, Brian C. Adams, uh, president and founder of Excelsior Capital. So we were starting to talk about the commercial real estate market and the, the uh, various uh, metrics that were driving it. Um, are there different demographics though? Like you're primarily in the like Tennessee and Texas market, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. Texas, Texas, Tennessee, and Florida are the, the primary, primary markets for us. And, and, and that's, that's just pretty straightforward investment thesis where you've got this huge demographic push of people relocating to the Sun Belt for better yeah. business, better taxes, better weather. And demographics are destiny in real estate. And so we've been investing in these markets for a long time. They've experienced huge population growth, wage growth, job growth, et cetera. And it's a rising tide mentality when it comes to all facets of real estate. Um, there was, I think, a long time a concept on Wall Street and the media where this millennial generation, which is the largest working generation cohort in American history, roughly 75 million people, were always will live in major metros and eat avocado toast and, and live in an apartment building in New York or San Francisco. The reality is that it's not the case, right? The Great Recession pushed back that family formation phase. But even pre-COVID, they were looking to move to different metros based on access to single-family homes, access to education for their children, quality of life and cost of living. And, and so, so we, we tried, tried to front run that and take advantage of that demographic shift. Well, plus you're, 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 you're taking all of us people from California, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. the industry we lost the Senate seat. And there's a reason for that. I mean, our taxes are too high, regulation, crime, all that. Kind of, I mean, we do have generally speaking good weather, but you know, uh, it was kind of crazy a couple of weeks ago, how uh, Newsom had said, Oh, you know, by 2035, we want, you know, like all cars to be, I think it was all cars. I don't, I don't know if he said 50% or all cars, all cars to be electric. And in the same day with the heat wave, it was, but don't plug in your car because we don't want to overdo the grid. So it's like right. their, their policies are so backward. And uh, you and I were mentioning, I mean, I've been in Tennessee and it's, it's a beautiful place. You know, did everything seems new. I mean, every place has got its crime and everything, but uh, Tennessee's beautiful. Um, yeah, my son works for a, a large company where he's living outside of California, but the Cal- it's California-based. And he, I think he only has to visit here maybe once a quarter. You know, obviously, as, as his dad, I want him to visit more. But, uh, you know, the, nowadays, there's a lot of work that you can do remote, you know, except for digging ditches, you know, manual labor type of stuff. But a lot of the stuff with the computers, you can just get done. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the syndication platforms, because uh, it says here it's focused on taxable high net worth investors and family offices. Uh, so first of all, like where are, you know, we, we, we've pitched to family offices before. Um, the hardest part we had, and I say we, I mean, Pacific Private Money, is that we were 
too conservative with our mortgage pool fund. We weren't paying a high enough interest rate. Uh, that's changed a little bit because we're paying either seven, eight or 9%, but still, you know, a lot of these guys don't get out of bed unless they're going to make 12 or 15%. Uh, so generally speaking, are, are you, you're putting these, um, uh, these office, are, are they primarily office buildings? Typically, Typically light industrial, industrial flex properties. Light industrial flex. Okay, that's good. Uh, I mean, to me, I think that's a, a good place to be. You got, uh, you know, even the warehouses like, you know, Amazon and all that. Uh, uh, there seems to be a big need for that. And um, uh, so are you doing, are you doing longer term leases or shorter ones? Uh, so our weight average, average lease term is typically somewhere between three to five years, yeah. depending on the opportunity. And there's, there's pros and cons, right? Having, having that stability and that cash flow is terrific, but in an environment like we're in today, that's hyperinflationary. You actually can push rents in a lot of these markets. So shorter term can sometimes mean that you can create value sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's challenging. I, I kind of have some experience in that uh, because I own some property and. Uh, the problem with the short-term ones, especially if you're in a market where there's a lot of changes going on, you know, when these tenants move out, you've got potentially downtime, more commissions to pay, and tenant improvements. And so it's almost better to just give, let them stay there a little bit long. And and here's the thing is that it, and this is way way before. This is back in the uh, late '90s, early 2000 with the dot bomb. Was rents dropped so low you you couldn't even give an offer to some to, to a company to say, look, I'm going to drop the rent 75%, just stay in the building. And they say, sorry, it's not worth it for us. So yeah. it, it definitely, definitely has its challenge. Um, generally speaking, what kind of uh, loans do you like to get for your buildings? You know, what, what loan to value and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah we're, we're typically, typically 50 to 60% LTV. So, so you know, 60% debt, 40% equity, everyone's common equity, so we don't have any preferred or, or mezzanine debt. It's a very simple capital structure. Historically, we've worked with CMBS and life companies. Obviously, in today's environment, they're not in the market, and so we pivoted towards uh, more typical bank debt. But we have flexibility. Um, and again, the, the, debt, the debt piece has been the most challenging the last six, 12 months. Yeah, what kind of rates uh, are the banks quoting right now for what you're looking at? All in, you're probably looking at something with a five in front of it. Um, so yeah. 5.5, mid fives. Um, they pretty much all baked in, you know, another 100 basis points um, from the Fed. Uh, that might be too conservative, um, frankly, after what happened yesterday in the announcement. But yeah, our lending costs are typically in that 5% these days. And is that going to be you at fixed for seven years or 10 years and then float thereafter? We've been doing more short-term debt because we don't believe this will be persistent um, over the next you know, five to 10 years. So these are typically one, two, or three-year type bridge loans with optionality to extend one or two more years, uh, but more near-term expiration. And you'll probably get a better rate, too, then, I would think. For the Correct. Rate. Yeah. That's right. And we get a better rate, and also we've been doing higher – uh, I'm sorry, lower LTV in order to also induce better rates and better interest-only options. So we've been going from typically a 60% LTV to today we're more like a 50, 55% LTV. That should just help you get a better rate. Uh, of course, you have to raise a little bit more money, but um, you know if you have a good reputation, um, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. We're going to cut to our second commercial break here. 
What event led to the creation of the Superfund? What cat? And I'll even give a hint. What catastrophic event led to the creation of the Superfund? All right, with a capital S. All right, stay with us. Uh, first of all, call 888-912-1190. First caller with the correct answer wins the tanning certificate. Stay with us. Best of investing. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Best of Investing with your host, Edward Brown. For more information, visit bestofinvesting.com. More in a moment on 860 AM, The Answer. You're listening to The Best of Investing on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Edward Brown. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. Edward Brown here along with Brian C. Adams. Now, do you actually use the middle initial? It was in the uh, uh, you know resume that, that you sent me. So I, I've been using the full Brian C. Adams, you know? Uh, I do. For people of a certain generation, Brian Adams can be uh, you know, um, a confusing name for some folks. So I use it as just a stopgap to... Sure. to yeah. Well, there was a famous rock star. Uh, I guess he was kind of a rock star, uh, Brian Adams. All right. Yeah. Uh, second trivia question. What event led to the creation of the Superfund? Uh No, it was before that. 1979, the Three Mile Island incident yeah. in Pennsylvania. All right. Uh, well, so far you're betting 500. That's still pretty good. Uh, that'll get yeah. you in the Hall of Fame. Right. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was something around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So, Brian, um, your specific funds. Yeah, you're raising money from individuals, pension funds, uh, RIAs, uh, family offices. Right. Yeah, yeah we're, we're very we're very tight, tight on our clients that we serve. So we only work with taxable investors. So for us, that's accredited non-institutional investors. So high net worth individuals, family offices, or RIAs or boutique wealth management firms that serve those folks. We don't work with institutional capital or private okay. equity. How long have you guys been around? Eleven years. Eleven years. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. That would put you down two thousand. 11 roughly okay so we were still kind of in a recession you know coming kind of coming out of it uh i presume you guys probably have a pretty good track record then we do it's not bad i think we had timing on our side initially we haven't been through a full cycle so i think we're about to um i appreciate the honesty uh how much uh, uh assets under management do you have uh 650 million Really? In 11 years? That's pretty good. Wow. Really, I've learned in real estate that it's all very relative. Um, we have a saying in YPO that somebody always has a bigger plane. So I don't put a lot of credence in AUM or square footage. I used to when I was younger, and I found those moments where you hit your milestones associated with those metrics be very depressing. So I enjoy what I do. I like people I work with. I love transacting. But I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in the ego metrics, frankly. Yeah, but but here's the thing, though: is if you do a if you do a lousy job, you're not you going to have the asset, right? That's right. I've certainly made a lot of mistakes, but yeah, we've we've it's been, been fun, fun the last couple years. Okay, fair, fair, fair enough. Uh, let's see. So you have here um, uh, direct co-investment structure or RI boutique wealth management family offices. Okay. So that's how you're, you're, you're kind of doing it. And do you guys put your own money in the deals too? 
Of course. Yeah, okay. we, we act, act as the GP sponsor, so we're an LP, and um, we take on the personal guarantee risk ourselves as well. Well, very good. And I, I presume... I'm trying to think of, okay, obviously tax advantages of direct real estate ownership, you get depreciation, that sort of thing. Uh, I would think that you guys, are you guys uh, formula, is it LLCs that you do? They're uh, STD LLCs, yeah, so they're all standalone investments, no cross-collateralization on debt or equity with other deals. That's right. Okay, so then your funds actually qualify for QBID too then, don't they? Uh, qual- um, this income deduction? Because they're passive, they're passive entities, right? Uh, correct. So it's return of capital. It's 100% of your money is back. So it's a non-taxable event. Yeah. And thereafter, it's, it's ordinary income. Yeah. But I mean, uh, the, the, uh, the QBID, uh, like all of, all of Pacific private money funds uh, qualify for QBID. So the, the 20% of the income that gets paid out, uh, if the inv- individual um, uh, investor qualifies and it's like an, in- you know, if they have an income under a certain amount, 20% of it's tax free. So uh, I would think that you guys, if you're a pass through entity, which you are, um, and they're passive investors, that I would think that they would qualify. Of course, the CPAs would know that. It, on your, you, you send out K1s, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. We have two tax professionals internally. So I, I don't know. I assume we do. I don't know. Well, yeah, you just look at the on the K one. It'll say something about Section one ninety nine. Uh, okay. that'll be that'll be, that'll be on there. That's, it's, I mean, it just adds an extra benefit for now. Some people it won't matter because their income's too high, so they they won't qualify for it. But for a lot of people, you know, they, they will, even though they're they're credit investors. A lot of times, credit investors don't have a high enough income, but they have a huge net worth. Right. You know, yeah. Honestly, okay. Hey, I want to go back to your uh, your law school uh, thing. So. Um, I assume that, you know, you, you, you learned a lot. I mean, you, you, did you, and you passed the bar and everything? First time. Hey, not bad. Not bad. It's better than me. I mean, at six years of high school, I finally made it through, but uh, (laughs) so, uh, but so, I mean, you you got to learn all about contracts and negotiation and uh, you 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 probably, you know, you, you passed the bar, but it sounds like, you know, here, let's put it this way. You, I'm sure you hire really good attorneys, in, in, but it, because you have the knowledge, you at least know what you're talking about and, and can speak intelligently with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I think, think we can, can gain the opportunity and the skill set to take large amounts of information, synthesize that into coaching, you know, words and, and um, written form. Uh-huh. It's really, you, you can see, see the back patterns and the flags, but the actual legal work, I'm happy that I no longer do, do that type of um, type of product, and I've retired my license. So. Yeah. Hey, let me go back to uh, the fact that you're mostly, you know, in the in the light industrial area, you know, with, with interest rates going up, cap rates, I'm sure they have to follow, which is theoretically going to depress the prices. Um, so are you finding some bargains out there? I have never, never seen, seen a rise in cap rate environment in my investing career. And I've yet to see it happen in, to, in today. It might be coming. Um, that being said, um, I, I think that the challenge that we see that a lot of people don't talk about um, domestically is there are challenges in the U.S. for certain. And I do believe we will go into a recession. I think it's going to be very volatile. And... If you, if you take, take a look, look at the rest of the world, 
The other options are very unappealing. And so when we talk to international family offices about deploying capital, it's pretty much us and Australia are the places that they're looking at. Wow. And so when you have that type of inbound capital flow, yeah. it just compresses cap rates and keeps them in check. So they may rise. I think, especially if you're in an emerging market, we're, we're, we're still the safe haven, uh, and that's why the euro has, has dropped. Hey, tell you what, we have to cut to our third commercial trivia question here. Uh, what is the name of the rabbit in the movie Bambi? Listen, if you have kids, you should know this. All right, stay with us. The Best of Investing will be right back. For more information on today's topic, call Edward Brown directly at 888-912-1190. The Best of Investing will continue in a moment on 860 AM. The Answer. Now, back to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown on 860 AM, The Answer. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. One more time, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with my special guest, Brian C. Adams of Excelsior Capital. Uh, third trivia question, what is the name of the rabbit in the movie Bambi? I got, I got nothing. You got nothing? Got thump, thumper. That's, that's right, Thumper. That's Thumper. Gosh. But that's okay. You were still one for three. That gives you a batting average of 333, which will ordinarily... Yeah, it still gets you in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. All right. Um, so, uh, Brian, if people are interested in what Excelsior Capital has to offer, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you look up Brian Adams, Excelsior Capital, shoot me a note, connection request, I'm happy to do so there. And then ExcelsiorGP.com is our website, which we have a lot of resources. And you can check out the portfolio and learn more about some of the um, blogs, white papers, my own podcast. Um, there's a lot on there for you to, to check out. Okay. And as investors, they, I know they have to be accredited investors. Uh, generally speaking, what kind of distribution rate are they looking at? In, in today's environment, it's less than it was a year ago. Um, but we're trying to hit a 10% cash and cash yield annualized over a 10-year hold period. Okay. Um, with some type of mid-teens IRR and a 2x multiple. Oh, that, I mean, that's very respectable. Yeah, that's good. Especially, you know, with those kinds of uh, leverage, that kind of leverage, you know, it all depends on the interest rate you're going to get versus the cap rate you're buying and expenses and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. Um, so moving on here. Uh, so Pacific Private Money, I do a lot of work with them, investor relations. And interestingly enough, you know, we've been pushing a lot for our uh, Pacific Freedom Fund because we're paying out 7% uh, for two hundred fifty thousand, eight percent at five hundred thousand, and at, at a million or more, nine percent. The best part of it is it's liquid, so all you have to do is give us thirty days notice when you want your money back. And the reason we can provide that liquidity is because every roughly two to three weeks, we're packaging up millions of dollars worth of loans, selling them to the big boys, the institutions, get the money back, put it on the conveyor belt, and keep just doing it again. So. A lot of times uh, there are uh, advisors and other investors who are waiting for their next investment. And rather than park their money in a you know, 0.2% bank account, they figure, well, why not park it at seven or eight or 9% very conservatively? And they get their money back in just 30 days notice. And interestingly enough, depending upon the timing, I've seen a redemption request uh, fulfilled in four days. Because at, at the time when the money was being turned over. So, you know, I, I personally, you know, I've been in this business a very, very long time. And I don't know of too many investments where you can have liquidity 
very conservative uh, and a high rate of return, a rel relatively high rate of return. I mean, we're not hitting your 10% rates, you know, because we, especially in California where we're making loans, you know, the interest rates we're charging borrowers are getting kind of close to 10%. So obviously we got to, you know, make money as a company so we can't pay out the full amount, right? Uh, and, and charge some points, keep the lights on in, in, the, in the building. Um, and for more information on that, it's pacificprivatemoney.com. Uh, their phone number is 415-883-2150. Uh, they do have a, another fund that's a um, construction loan fund. And that one, they are actually uh, hitting their 10% mark on that. It's an unleveraged fund, but they're doing you know construction loans. Um, in our Southwest fund, we're just paying a flat 7.5% buying discounted notes. And then we have another fund that uh, we're just you know paying between 6 to 7% on. Uh, so again, for more information, go to pacificprivatemoney.com. Um, so uh, Ryan, what else do you want to cover here? It looks like, again, you know, heading into this recession, I mean, you got to be kind of picky as to the kind of assets that you want to invest in. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think the, the a big, big misconception in, in the real estate world, um, when, when people, people ask what the three most important words are in real estate, the right answer is basis, basis, and basis. So in this environment, you're married to your basis for the entirety of your whole period. And I think we're going to see a lot of sponsors who were overlevered, that paid up way too much on these assets, get washed out when they can't refinance into a lower interest rate environment, but they can't operate correctly in this environment. So very positive. Well, it's been said that you know you 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 make money when you buy the asset. And, and I guess that's kind of what you're getting at is if your basis yeah. is low enough. Yeah, interestingly enough, when we're buying, <clears throat> excuse me, discounted loans, it's kind of the same way where, you know, if, if a house is worth 100000 and the loan is 60000 and we're buying it for $44,000, you know, we're, we're, our loan to value in that case is only 44%, uh, which is actually, that's, that's high compared to what we usually are. Our numbers are really closer to, the loan is forty four thousand. We're buying it for twenty nine thousand. So we're actually right around twenty nine percent investment to value, as they say, on the discount. Yeah, so, Makes yeah, sense. Can, yeah. And on something like that, you know, you can you can see a 25 percent drop in real estate, and you're really not affected that much. Because even if the borrower defaults and you have to foreclose, you know, if you're selling the house instead of a hundred thousand at seventy five thousand, you're still making money. You still so good, good money. money. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So, what what kind? Uh, we have just a couple of quick minutes before our last commercial break. What uh, what kind of tenants generally? Because you said light industrial. What what any kind of known tenants that uh, obviously yeah. don't have any personal information, but sure. Yeah, yeah, so, so in these flex buildings, buildings like, like to call them the mall of commercial real estate, where it's business in the front and, and party in the back. So we typically have like, like HVAC, HVAC servicing company is a good example. They have actual administrative staff, executive staff, they need some type of office. They may have some customer fronting functionality. That's typically 25% of the space. And then 75% of the space will be distribution, storage, warehouse, um, maybe even full doctor access. And so those are the typical users. And it's a spectrum between local, regional, and institutional credit. We don't get a lot of institutional credit, but every once in a while we do. Interesting. Yeah, my my actually interestingly enough, uh, the building that I owned is is right just exactly what you just explained. You know, yeah. and I've owned it since 1994. But uh, it definitely, uh, interestingly enough, going through two 
two major bad situations, you know, probably, you know, the year 2001 and then, uh, you know, 2010 and 11 was really pretty challenging. And uh, coming up now is going to be probably another challenge, you know. Yeah, my loan, I think I'm at three point something percent. And I did that two years ago and I got a, a 10 year fix. So hopefully by the time it comes due, it'll be back to, uh, you know, a normal rate. I think <laughs> you'll be okay. okay. That's, That's a good deal. deal. Okay. Yeah. You know, what's funny though, is that before, when I first took over the building, that was before the internet for the most part. And so I had low rates and then I locked the next tenant in to low rates and this thing skyrocketed during the dot com, and then by the time these these uh, leases came due, it was dot bomb, and so I was I never got to enjoy the upside of it. Yeah, yeah it was just it's the timing of it. You need to lose the deal. That's, that's the important thing. You got to stay in the game. game. Yeah, yeah, and then that, that's you know that's the that's the thing is if you can weather the storm, then you should be okay. Again, uh, Brian, before we cut to our break, go ahead and uh, give out your information if you would. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, Brian Adams, Excelsior Capital. You can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm very active on that platform. Or then ExcelsiorGP.com is the website. That's where you can find the most information about the work we do and the portfolio, as well as access to resources that we've put together for our investor community. Very good. All right, stay with us. The Best of Investing will be right back with some closing comments. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to The Best of Investing with your host, Edward Brown. For more information, visit bestofinvesting.com. More in a moment on 860 AM, The Answer. You're listening to The Best of Investing on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Edward Brown. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. Last time for today, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with my special guest, Brian C. Adams. Uh, we didn't have a trivia question, but uh, Brian, you wanted to bring up another topic. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting. interesting. I think investors don't ask the right questions when they're talking to sponsors and GPs. Um, they can review the deal, they can diligence the hell out of any particular investment. But the real questions that they need to be asking are, what does the investor experience, the investor journey look like? In other words, yeah. once you enter into my world and you were to invest into one of our properties, what does it look like daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually? What are those expectations? What does my tech stack look like in terms of customer relations, um, uh, social media, access to different kind of value add beyond just the investment itself? I think it's time for investors to be more aggressive and expect more from sponsors and GPs beyond just showing them deals. Yeah, back in the 80s when limited partnerships, uh, specifically real estate partnerships were sold, you know, the leverage was 60-70%, but the sponsor was taking like 20% up front for their various fees and stuff. And thank goodness yeah. that got chopped down quite a bit because, you yeah. know, you take 20% out of the deal, you have to now make 25% of your money just to break even. So, you yeah. know, you keep your expenses down quite a bit. And Yeah. When do you guys send out your K-1s? Uh, so we are we are militant about sending that early, so typically mid to late February. That's awesome. I mean, it's very rare to find an operator who can send them out that, especially when you own real estate because of all the various expenses that go in. Yeah, you know, it's one of the a mistake I made in my career was being late on those, and I refuse to do it anymore. I'm not the sticky wheel, um, and it's it's been huge uh, for the LPs also managing absolutely that period of time. Yeah. 
And, and do you guys get into cost segregation type stuff or? Oh yeah, we, we run, run a cost seg analysis every deal and push through as much bonus depreciation as we can. Obviously different assets have different percentages, but yeah, it's a big part of what we do. If you can show 10% yield and show loss in your K-1, super powerful investment for a taxable investor. Uh, last question, how how long do your investments generally last? Like if, uh, as a client, how uh, when do they expect to eventually wind it down? Sure, we, we underwrite to a 10-year-old, but I'd say on average it's a six to seven-year type of uh, old period. So generally the commitment, you know, someone who invests can generally expect a seven-year hole in that. Okay, right. very good. Uh, okay, we're going to thank you very much, Brian. We're going to cut out. Here's our thoughts for the day. We always have like sort of funny thoughts and that sort of thing. Okay. So you want to hear a word I made up? Plagiarism. Okay. And uh, a police officer radios into the station. Sarge, we have a situation here. Yes, go ahead, comes back the answer. A woman just shot her husband for stepping on the floor. She had just mopped clean. Have you arrested the woman? No, sir, the the floor is still wet. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. I like that one. Um, So I didn't hear a laugh out of the plagiarism one. You didn't like the fact that I made up the word plagiarism? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Our regulars on the show, they kind of know to expect what to expect. It's it's a little bit challenging on that. Again, um, Brian C. Adams, thank you very much. Excelsior Capital. Uh, Check them out if you're interested in investing in, you know, light industrial type uh, in, you know, Florida, Tennessee, expect a a a six to 10 year hold Uh, distributions, hopefully hitting around the 10%, uh, mostly if not totally sheltered, at least in the beginning by depreciation and all that. Uh, check them out. All right. And also check out PacificPrivateMoney.com where you can get a nice high yield at a conservative rate, uh, excuse me, conservative um, uh, for assessment for risk and uh, liquidity, which is the best part at PacificPrivateMoney.com. Tune in next week to The Best of Investing. We're going to be giving away more free prizes for answering trivia questions. Thanks for listening. On behalf of our team, I'm Edward Brown, wishing you the best of investing. So long. You've been listening to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown. For more information on this program, call 888-912-1190. That's 888-912-1190. Or visit bestofinvesting.com. And join us again next week for The Best of Investing on 860 AM. The Answer. This radio broadcast is in no way an offer to sell securities except where applicable in states where we are registered or where an exemption or exclusion from such registration exists. Information discussed during this broadcast, whether stock quotes, charts, articles, or any other statement or statements regarding market or other financial information is obtained from sources which we believe are reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of this information. Nothing in this broadcast should be interpreted to state or imply that past results are an indication of future performance. There are no warranties expressed or implied as to accuracy, completeness, or results obtained from this broadcast. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.